<clears throat> Let me start off by saying how thankful I am to be back with you again today, even though I'm struggling. And also thank you so much for all those who prayed for me while I was gone. But with that being said, I also noticed we are missing quite a few still today, uh, dealing with COVID, and I'm sure a number of other issues. So let's remember all of them as we continue to pray for the congregation. <clears throat> today I want to spend a little time talking about generational and cultural differences of concern. And as I look at the world around me, now it's become pretty apparent to me that in the world today there are a lot of different ideas and concerns which usually vary from person to person and it's quite often due to generational or cultural differences. And that same issue is oftentimes seen even within our individual families and even within our individual congregations. Now, as we move a little bit from away from the worldliness and move <clears throat> to the issue of congregations, we know that these differences have oftentimes caused issues within congregations. Let's ask a question here. Why have we within the churches of Christ, and, and I'm sure other religious groups maybe are asking this question, why have we lost and continue to lose members of younger generations? I think as we begin to go forward and look at a little bit of this, what you're going to find out, and it shouldn't be a surprise to many of us, is that older and more mature Christians oftentimes think very differently from those who are newer or uh, babes still in Christ. And so there are a number of reasons why we see differences in thought and concerns within congregations, and it usually varies oftentimes by generation and even cultural differences. Now, as you begin to look at this topic, for some, uh, the answer for them is to simply just oversimplify the issue by using words like worldliness and error, or the younger blame the older, and the older blame the younger because they don't see alike. And to be honest, some of those points actually may be valid. But really, that's an oversimplification of what may cause people to disagree with regarding the direction of a congregation or uh, a person not desiring to obey the gospel in the first place. Now let me ask another question. Oftentimes within congregations when you begin to have differences of opinion between different age groups, different cultural groups, what actually happens when people begin to complain about the state of the congregation or the topics being spoke of, spoken of and so forth? What happens when those people begin to leave the congregation? What, what is an actual response we see quite often? Well, unfortunately, sometimes what happens, <coughs> nothing changes. Sometimes what happens is, is totally different. The preacher's response is actually to become very unbalanced with the topics that he addresses, and they begin to focus simply on worldliness, sin and denominationalism, things like that. And don't get me wrong, all of those things are needed. But they become very unbalanced in the things that they begin to study about, talk about. Guys, it's interesting Jude commands us to use discernment when we're teaching other people. Listen to Jude one twenty-two, And of some have compassion, making a difference. Now we're going to learn as we go forward, guys, the congregation is made up of younger people, older people, people struggling with a number of different topics due to, again, their generational age, their cultural beliefs, and so forth. Why does Jude give us this 
this mandate for discernment when we're teaching? Well, again, each individual congregation is made up of multiple generations at different physical and spiritual levels. Notice uh, Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. <clears throat> for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, as we begin to think about congregations and the different age groups that are involved here within the congregation, not all members of the congregation develop at the same time and the same rate. You have some who are older, who may be very mature in the faith, whereas you may have some who have not grown in the faith in a long time. And you have some who are younger who are very mature in the faith, while you also have other people at the exact same age who are not anywhere near where that person's at. And so that creates a dilemma within the congregation on what do we talk about? Who do we try to reach today? What group is it specifically that we're going to address? Well, because of all of that going on within the congregation, there's a number of practical sermons on everything from temptation of sin, issues with family, issues within marriages, intimacy within marriages, interactions with the world around us, and then at the same time, while dealing with all of those issues, we need to have things like doctrinal sermons, which, ad which address issues like the correct ways that we worship, unity within the congregation, fellowship, the Godhead, heaven, and hell. And the list would go on and on and on. And so you can see, well, with so many topics, some people may say, well, this topic's more important than that topic. And so you begin to have this different idea of what's a concern to me individually or a concern within the congregation. Now, with all that being said, all of us have the same Bible. We should all be using the same inspired scriptures. But the problem is, is there isn't one universal fits everybody size type of plan for what are we going to preach on this week? What are we going to study next week? And so <clears throat> what you have is a hard a hard time trying to satisfy everyone within the congregation and their level of education. Some are still babes in Christ. Others are mature in the faith who are really looking for a collegiate level biblical education from the congregation. And so what's the answer to all of this? Well, one of the answers is balance and discernment. I want you to notice what Paul says in Acts 20, 26 and 27. He says, Wherefore, I take you to, to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Basically, what are we learning about Paul here? Paul told them what they needed to hear as they needed to hear it. And what he told one group was different from what he told another group. Oftentimes, guys, when we begin to teach somebody, we have to start exactly where they are at. And people are not at the same place, whether they're Christians or not Christians. And he says he, he taught the whole counsel of God. That doesn't mean the parts that I like the most or the parts that I think are most important. Those are, that, that basically includes everything within the Scriptures itself. And as we go back and we look at the book of Acts, the accounts of the people being converted there, the, the speaker began where the hearer was at. Guys, truth isn't affected by cultural trends or opinion or the way in which we like to do it. 
nor is it lukewarm combination of teaching to appeal to the conservatives and the liberals within the congregation. Uh, each person's different, each person has different needs, and so we, we as a congregation have to assess and then determine where they currently are. And like Christ, we have to act in the best interest of others. And that usually falls on those of us who are the strongest spiritually. Listen to Romans 15, 1 through 3. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. All of us as Christians, whether we are young, whether we are old, whether we are uneducated, whether we are educated, need to begin with holding others' best interests at heart. Guys, this used to be expected. But part of the problem today with our culture is, is many people are often just focused on self. And again, you'll notice it's a little different oftentimes from generation to generation. But in general, as I thought about this, at least within our congregation, I believe that both generations, whether young or old, often have the well-meaning of others as their primary focus, meaning they try to see other people through their own eyes. They try to understand what it is that they're struggling with. But again, our perspective is different because of experience and life setting, and that's due to generational and cultural differences. Guys, the things that I oftentimes worry about are not the same things that my children worry about. The things that I'm struggling with are oftentimes not the same things that another person is struggling with. For the young people here, don't be so naive as to think that older people are so out of touch that they can't know what they're talking about. We have to remember many of these older, mature Christians within the congregation, they've already made all of the mistakes that we're currently making or thinking about making. Okay? For the older people, don't be so naive as to think that the young are mistaken just because they're young. We have a number of our younger generation that are educated in the Scriptures, and they're trying to be, they're trying to be faithful, and yet their concerns on outreach, needed sermon topics, Bible study topics, they greatly vary from the older people. Guys, they are dealing and struggling with a total different set of trials and temptations. That's why we have sermons, for example, on marriage, but also have sermon topics, for example, for the single. And we oftentimes don't think about the other groups, but the single people may be saying, why are we having another sermon on marriage, intimacy, trials within marriage? When that doesn't affect me. Whereas the married person is saying, why are, we, why are we having another sermon topic on uh, individual temptations such as lust and fornication and whatever it may be? Again, two totally different viewpoints, and yet both are needed, yet both affect different groups. And oftentimes within congregations, one group feels that they're not being fulfilled, and then the next week the other group feels they're not being fulfilled. Again, for our older members, being older in age doesn't make you right just because you're older. And for our younger members, being older in age doesn't mean, mean that they're wrong just because they're out of touch with reality. Both sides, all of us, generationally, culturally, we need each other to survive and to grow, not only within this world, but within the congregation itself. 
And so as you begin to think about the older generations, the younger generations, you may begin to ask yourself, what are the greatest concerns facing local congregations and individual Christians? And it's important for the younger people who are maybe less experienced or less mature to understand why some of the older people think the way they think. And it's important for our older people to look at the younger people and begin to understand why they think the way that they think. So for congregations, certainly to stand for the truth is a necessity. All of us are dealing with and standing against error. Uh, and so we get this understanding as we begin to look through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me give you just a couple of verses before I begin to break down some of the primary concerns for the older and the younger as we begin to look at this from both sides. Psalm 97.10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of His saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Psalms 119.104 says, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Now let me give you a New Testament passage. We're told in Ephesians 6.11-12, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What are we, what are we breaking this down to? We need to be concerned about error and sin. But again, the concerns, or what you think is a concern, is going to vary due to generation and or culture. Let's start off looking at just a few of the concerns for those that would be very mature Christians in the faith. I'm only going to look at a few. I don't have enough air to look at or to talk about a ton of them. But we're going to look at just a couple of these topics uh, regarding mature Christians. What are their concerns oftentimes? And then we'll look for just a few minutes on the concerns of those oftentimes who are younger. Here's probably the number one major concern for those who are very mature Christians in the faith. I would say that is probably denominational and doctrinal error. For many Christians, denominational error, uh, doctrinal error, that's their greatest concern. And for many of us, it's because we did come out of denominational groups or community churches, or we have seen exactly how destructive and deceiving these groups are. And oftentimes how their, their doctrines that they teach appeal not only to those in society, but oftentimes even those within the congregations. People wonder how it is that congregations that were once faithful, they veer off into unfaithfulness. Guys, it always comes from denominational and doctrinal error. And many of the mature congregations or, or people within the congregation, they've seen it happen. And so for many of them, the older mature Christians, their primary concern is battling against error, error, error. Guys, this goes all the way back to the very beginning of the first apostasy with the Catholic Church, continued through the Middle Ages, through the Great Awakening, the Restoration Movement. And the thing is, is Christians have always and still are constantly battling error uh, or erring religious groups. But our culture today has led to this environment of the I'm okay you're okay type of belief. And so many people have this idea of, well, we're all okay. It's just different variations in how we worship and what we believe. And for the majority of the religious world, that has made defending doctrine a non-necessity. 
Many churches of Christ are known for being staunch defenders of the faith. Some are not. And guys, unfortunately, when you begin to go back and look in years past, doctrine was a vital concern, not just for the churches of Christ. But you can look at virtually any religious group 150 years ago, and they were all worried about doctrine. As a matter of fact, if you guys go down into my office, you will find a number of books, many from within the churches of Christ, others from denominational groups. And debates used to abound on doctrine. You didn't have people debating about love and fellowship. That was just, that was just expected. But you did have people who were debating on doctrine. And that's because at that time, virtually all religious groups had this idea that correct understanding of doctrine was a necessity. Guys, the culture back then is totally different than the culture now. Listen to 2 John 1, 9-11. It is important that we know doctrine. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. And if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. We are told to be worried about doctrine. And so for many people and congregations who are very mature in the faith, that is their primary concern. Now other concerns for the mature in the faith would include, I'm just going to call it institutionalism for some or antiism for others. And if you go back and you really begin to look in the 50s, probably through the 70s, guys, brethren were in a constant debate over institutionalism or, as some call it, antiism. Guys, both sides spent a lot of time studying the topic, talking about the topic, debating the topic. And even at that time, many, most of those congregations, as they were debating and working through this, many of them were still in fellowship. Again, I'm not suggesting that this topic is not important. What I am saying is, is for many people who are mature in the faith, this is a big deal to them. It's a big topic. Matter of fact, I still see some people talking about it. But for the most part, today, this topic is not that important. As a matter of fact, uh, many people are not concerned at all about, uh, as you begin to talk about institutionalism or antiism. What you have today, unfortunately, has been watered down to halfway between institutionalism and denominationalism, and it's called progressivism. And for many congregations, the concern is rarely discussed at all anymore. Now, you, you've noticed so far, I haven't said one way or the other what I think. What I am saying is, is for many mature Christians, this is a concern. And how we spend congregational money and the works that we are involved in as a congregation, those things should be a concern. It's necessary to address not only this topic, but any topic found within our scriptures. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Guys, if it's taught in the Bible, it ought to be concerned. Now, for many of our younger people, whether somebody is institutional or anti, as others call it, they're not worried about that. And oftentimes it's because many congregations have watered all of the topics down so much, they don't even realize there's a correct or an incorrect belief regarding the topic. 
What's another concern for many who are very mature in the faith? Oftentimes it is the danger and the spread of worldliness. The love of the world and the immoral aspects of our culture are extremely evident in our changing attitudes towards what was once clearly understood to be sinful. What am I saying? Culture today is not like the culture of years past. And we live in a world today that is so engulfed in immoral behaviors which are considered acceptable and normal. And because of that, many Christians' senses have been dulled to the point where they not only entertain themselves with worldliness, they're actually so surrounded and engulfed with worldliness that they have become desensitized to sin. And many of the mature Christians within the congregations, they've seen it happen. They've seen it happen to their loved ones. They've seen it happen to their family members. They have seen families destroyed, marriages destroyed, congregations destroyed. And so for many people who are mature in the faith, that is a primary concern. They're not thinking about the lovey-dovey side of, of edification oftentimes. They're not thinking about a number of these things that the younger people may be thinking about because what's their concern? I've lost family members. I have lost loved ones to worldliness, to sin, to temptation. And so my primary focus as a mature Christian oftentimes is to go back and I'm, I'm worried about doctrinal error. I'm worried about institutionalism versus antiism. I'm worried about worldliness coming in and tearing apart the congregation. Guys, all of those things are important and it's important for us to preach on it. Listen to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. We are warned, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Guys, all those things that I just mentioned regarding those who are mature in the faith, those are important topics. Sometimes, though, do the people who are mature in faith miss important topics? Are they maybe not concerned about things they ought to be concerned about? I think we'll notice as we go forward, sometimes that is the case. Let's talk about one of the really primary concerns in the eyes of younger Christians. We're really going to look at two of these. Many of our younger generations, unfortunately, are more concerned about feelings than they are regarding doctrinal correctness. Is that necessarily wrong to be concerned about feelings? Not at all. If you begin to talk to a number of younger people and you begin to look at some of the polls regarding what their concerns are, many are more concerned about love, outreach, how we deal with people around us, prayer life, helping the poor, and things of that nature. And guys, Every one of those things is good and needed. What I'm saying is, is they have a totally different aspect and view of what they look at as a concern, as a younger person oftentimes, than those who are much more mature in the faith. Younger Christians or those even who once came out of denominationalism, those who came out of community churches, they have a very hard time today seeing denominations and community churches and liberals as enemies. And here's the reason. 
It is hard to look at somebody as an enemy when they often are their allies in contemporary cultural battles against things like secular humanism, things against pornography, abortion, postmodernism. Many of these religious groups around and community churches are battling against things which are inherently wrong. And they look at the fact that they're doing those things, and it's, it's hard to look at someone like that who is uh, who's involved in what they think are, is a good topic or a good thing uh, and look at them as an enemy. But the problem is, is many of these denominational and community groups, churches around us, they do a lot of good things to the community. Matter of fact, they oftentimes appeal not only to the world around us and they prevent us from having opportunities to spread the gospel, they oftentimes, guys, even appeal to our own members within our congregations. Why? Well, I began to think a little bit about this. How do you appeal in a community church or denominational group? How do you appeal to the members of the churches of Christ? Here's what I have seen take place personally. A number of these denominational groups, community churches, they offer, they offer outreach or small groups throughout the week, and they're dealing with things like divorce care, pornography and substance abuse or addiction, singles groups, and they're offering worldly activities to people who are struggling with worldly issues. And so it's very easy to see why a newer or a weaker Christian could look at them as offering what appears to be good outreach and edification programs. It is hard for people to look at groups like that as being dangerous when so many around them are praising those groups for their love, for their outreach, for what it is that they're offering to people, for pushing for a strong prayer life, for all their good works. And yet, some of our members who fall for that, they're not asking themselves, what are, they, what are they teaching doctrinally? Where the older, mature Christians are asking, what do they teach doctrinally, in addition to whether or not the things they are doing are, are scriptural, oftentimes a younger person doesn't ask that question. They're looking at the good, the benefit, what, it, what it's offering to those who need. So here's the problem. The churches of Christ should be loving. <laughs> we should be involved in outreach. We should be promoting strong prayer lives. We should be involved in good works as authorized by our scriptures, but many aren't. And so some assume they don't care, and they may not. For faithful congregations, a strong emphasis on structure and form, and that's what you find in many of the old faithful congregations, may send the message that purpose and function are less relevant. And so some have come to the conclusion, we've got the five acts of worship, we're faithful. Right? We teach the five steps to salvation, we're faithful. We're a sound church, and yet they have very little emphasis on things like love and outreach and prayer or strengthening the weak. They should be, and all those things are needed. And so what are many of the younger people, the younger generations who are looking for that, what do they do? Well, the church that they attend is not offering it. So they begin to look somewhere else. 
Is their concern valid? Totally different outlook from the older generation, but the concern is valid. What am I saying? The older people maybe are only focused on this. The younger people are primarily focused on this. And for both groups, you can do some of it right and still get it wrong. Listen to Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. What was he saying? You were concerned about some of it, but you weren't concerned about all of it. All of it is a necessity. Do the younger and the older generations have different concerns within the congregation? Yes. And oftentimes both of them are valid. Maybe even for them it's one-sided and they still need to grow and they still need to learn, but it's, it's valid. Another concern for the younger, and rightly so, is this, and we've all seen it. Emphasis on tradition within congregations. We got brethren throwing fit over new songbooks and using overhead projectors. Uh, you know, that's, that's not how we used to do it. It's new. It's different. Young people notice when we begin to treat traditions as being equal to the gospel. And being judgmental and hyper-negative over non-doctrinal issues, it's not only unnecessary, it's counterproductive to the preaching of the gospel. And guys, when we bicker and fight over things like that, the younger people look at it and it squashes their interest and their zeal. Because they're like, I don't want to be like that. They're fighting over things that don't mean anything. And guys, we do. We do. It's a valid concern. The older people don't look at it that way. We don't need new hymn books. We've got, we've got the authorized hymn books. We use the King James Version. And they fight over these things, and the young people are like, what are you fighting over that for? It's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. And it squashes their zeal. So who's right? I'm almost done. You guys are going to get a short one today. Who's right? Well, both old and young are often correct in their concerns regarding spiritual dangers, but they're looking at it from two totally different views. Every enemy of Christ has the potential to subvert souls, and it has to be addressed. And Jesus, He rebuked the liberal Sadducees in Matthew 22, 23-29, but He also rebuked the self-righteous Pharisees in Matthew 23, 1-7. Our concern is, or our example is to be concerned regarding all error. Both the older and the younger generations are incorrect when they only begin to focus on their set of concerns. It's often the enemy that we're not even looking for that gets us. Guys, if you're only focused on doctrine, if you're only focused on doing everything by the letter of the law, and you should be, don't get me wrong, but you forget about love, and you forget about edification, and you forget about uplifting the congregation and being a strong congregation, you have fallen to an enemy that you didn't even see coming. Why? Because you weren't worried about those things. The younger people may have been in one area, but you weren't. And the older people are, but the younger people aren't in another area. Age and upbringing and experience and cultural influence often affect what one thinks 
is the greatest concern facing them either individually or congregationally. And guys, oftentimes it is. A young person at 22 is not dealing with the same issues I'm dealing with. Their concerns are different, but they're valid. The older married Christian struggling with an issue, the widow who's struggling with an issue, totally different concerns than we have, a younger person has at 21. But the concerns are valid, but from a totally different view. And guys, all of that makes up, honestly, a strong congregation when we understand that and we try to appeal to every one of those needs at the same time. Truth be told, both the old and the young have overlooked many of these factors which inhibit growth and truth within the congregation. We have fallen short because we're not oftentimes looking at someone else's viewpoint of why they're requesting something or dealing with something. For the older and mature who are here right now, consider the thoughts and concerns of the youth who have yet to experience those life events which have created your outlook and your concerns at the present moment. And for the younger people who are here, consider the thoughts and the concerns of the older mature Christians who've already faced all the things that you have yet to struggle with, who've faced and dealt with the external and the doctrinal changes, changes and dangers taking place within the congregations. Ask yourself, why are they so worried about this? While the older people are asking themselves, why are the younger people so worried about this? It takes both the younger and the older mature Christians in each congregation really to assess the need of the congregation and assure that we reach each person regardless of generational or, or cultural differences. And guys, if we can do that, if I can place myself in a younger person's shoes and ask, why are they, why are they needing this? Why are they requesting this topic? Why are they struggling with this? And if they can place themselves in an older person's shoes and ask, why are they concerned with this? Why are they concerned with that? If each of us can do that, it would help us to be a loving congregation while at the same time focused on preaching nothing but the simple truth of the gospel as we try to reach each generation or those with cultural differences. We can both be right and still both be wrong at the same time. And it happens. And as I draw this to a close, my concern would be for everyone here to be a faithful Christian. If you've not yet obeyed the gospel, it is not complicated. It is as simple as somebody teaching you the gospel. That's what we find through all the conversion accounts. Believing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Understanding your sin and repenting of it. Confessing Christ and being immersed in water for the remission of sins. I didn't give you the verses, but if you're watching this, or if you're here today and you want the verses, I will sit down and we will go through all the conversion accounts because the way people were saved in the first century is how people are still saved today. You're not going to find the sinner's prayer in there, but what I just told you, you will find. If you're here and you've not obeyed the gospel, that's a concern of ours and we'd love to study with you. If you are here and you're a Christian, ask yourself, have you been faithful this week? Is there a way that you can appeal and help and edify and reach out to those maybe who are in a different state or an aspect in their life. As a congregation, that's what we need to do to stay strong. If there's a way that we can help you in any way as we draw this to a close, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.